0: All right, our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 11, verses 25 to 30, and it will be on the screens for you to follow along, starting at verse 25. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. All things have been entrusted to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son desires to reveal him. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light, amen.
1: Good afternoon folks, happy Marathon Sunday. I ran a marathon this morning, it wasn't the best time that I had. Somebody actually believed that, that's pretty amazing. (laughs) I get tired running 26.2 steps, let alone 26.2 miles. Hey, so my name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here at Renaissance. Um, In 1999, uh, there was a 10-day span that shocked the commercial fishing industry. It happened not too far from here in New Jersey, where within just a short span of 10 days, three commercial fishing boats crashed. The Beth DeBob, which is like the quintessential fishing boat name, the Cape Fear, and the Adriatic. Now all three of these boats crashed and ten people died, five of them never to be discovered again. Now, shows like The Deadliest Catch and other shows uh, have chronicled how unsafe and how dangerous it is for there to be commercial fishing. The weather and all these different things makes it a much more difficult job than sitting behind a desk knocking out stuff behind on Excel. Uh, But still, three crashes within 10 days was something that everybody was shocked by. So investigators set out to find out what was the cause of these crashes. First, they started to see, was there some crazy malfunction with the boats themselves? Um, Was there a crash? Was it like the Titanic, where something happened and uh, the hole was breached and water was just gushing in? And they found out, when doing the research on all three boats, there was no mechanical uh, damage. There was no um, uh, iceberg that it crashed into. So then they said, well, maybe these, uh, these captains were, maybe they didn't have experience. And as they did research, they found out that each one of these captains had over 10 years of experience, and they were some of the uh, best and most capable people uh, to navigate that boat. And then they thought, well, maybe... Um, they were just in, like, a brand new terrain, and they found out that each one of these captains had taken this route before. Each one of them was just about 10 or 15 miles from being home. So they had experience, there was no mechanical danger, and they were close to home. So what caused the crash? Now, after they dug and dug and dug, they realized that all three of these boats had one simple thing in common. They were just carrying too much weight. Now, clam boats uh, have these, um, these big clam traps on them that weigh about 300 pounds empty, and when they're full, they weigh about a ton. And each one of these captains loaded up an additional 10 to 15 clam traps, meaning they were caver- carrying an extra 10 to 15 tons of cargo. And when everything didn't go exactly like they thought it was gonna go, just the simple fact that they were carrying too much weight led to their crash, even though they were experienced even though the boats themselves were in good shape, even though they themselves uh, were close to home and knew where they were, thought they knew where they were going. Now, as they asked other boaters and captains, they said, hey, why would anybody just ignore the paperwork of these boats and just, lo- um, just load on 15 extra tons full of stuff? And the answer was a general consensus. Everybody's doing it. They were just doing what everyone else was doing, trying to keep up with the competition, so they just load it in as much as they can possibly pack in. Now, each one of you in this room has a much has a very similar but much more subtle danger that all of us face: that your lives could be so packed in with stuff, that your spiritual lives and your physical lives could be so overloaded and packed in with stuff that it leads to our eventual demise. Now, we're in this series called Transformed and trying to uncover what it is that our lives could actually uh, begin to resemble more and more what it looks to, um, to be like Jesus, to grow in our faith, to have real um, deep change, not just cosmetic change, but real deep inner transformation in our lives. And here's what is one of the biggest obstacles that you and I will face. We just have too much on our shoulders. We're carrying too much weight. Now, most of us, uh, particularly if you were to talk about your spiritual life, uh, you would probably use words like stressed and anxious and overburdened. How many of you guys can say that in the past week, the way that you would describe your relationship with God was carefree, not a care in the world? That you didn't worry about anything, that you just fully trusted and had full confidence that the direction of your life was going the way that God had for you, and that God was right there with you, never leaving you, never forsaking you, and that you were just full of confidence and stress-free. This past week, I realized just how um, stressed my and overburdened my spiritual walk is. Uh, I read a scripture in our community Bible reading plan, uh, Hebrews 5 and 2, and it just stopped me absolutely in my tracks. It says, uh, he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray. And as I, I, as I read that, I almost, uh, my, my eyes started to water up and I started to get ready to cry, thinking, man, Jordan, you really don't feel like God is gentle with, with you whenever you go astray a little bit. If you didn't do everything in your life the way that you were supposed to do it, if you didn't read this much, if you didn't pray this much, uh, man, you just carry on this low level of guilt and anxiety that you've carried around for so long, you don't even notice it anymore. I was uh, talking to a family member that uh, had to have a a hip surgery and then talking to them, realizing, man, why didn't you get this surgery sooner? And they had just been carrying around the pain for so long, they just learned to deal with it. Most of us carry around this low level of stress and anxiety, and we've carried it for so long that it's almost foreign to not have it. We We don't even recognize our own spiritual lives without it. Now, spiritually, that's certainly true for me, but it's not just there. It doesn't stop there. Uh, It certainly goes into my physical life and my emotional space as well that, uh, man, I'm just so busy. I'm so overloaded. Um, I have really high ambitions and a really mediocre capacity, and every single day I go home kind of feeling guilty that I haven't done enough. What that leads to is stress, anxiety, and feeling overburdened. Now, I certainly don't know all the answers of what it looks like to be transformed and to grow to be like Jesus, but I certainly know one way that you will not get there and one way that I will not get there, and that is uh, loading in so much in our lives. Now, I've been thinking this past week, man, what is it that causes our lives just to be so overburdened and stressed out and full of anxiety? And man, some of it is just that we live in a broken world. Things are not the way that they ought to be. And if you live in this life, and if you're aware of what's going on, there are things that are going on, there are situations, there are relationships, there are people that just don't do what you want them to do. And this is no fault of your own, this is just the complexities and the nature of living in a broken world. Uh, A number of months ago, uh, my wife and I were preparing to host my father-in-law, and uh, she's blogged about this recently, so I have permission to say it. And he was scheduled to come in town, and we knew it was going to be a tense time. We knew that it was going to be a time that wasn't going to be the most just laid back uh, because he has dementia. And um, we didn't think it was going to be as stressful as it was, but as soon as he got to Penn Station, he was traveling with his sister. As soon as he got there, what was supposed to be just a quick bathroom break ended up being him lost in Penn Station for over an hour. Now, you never know how many people are in New York City, and you never know how big Penn Station is until you're just trying to find one person. Every single day, hundreds of thousands of people pass through there, and what was supposed to be this really joyful uh, welcome to her, to her dad with uh, him seeing his grandson and everybody being really happy to spend time together ended up being a nerve-wracking hour of his picture being circulated among the NYPD, Jessica running around the block over and over and over again, and us just having our nerves completely fried before the trip even started. Now, some of the stress and weight that we deal with in life isn't because it's your fault, isn't because you did anything, it isn't because anything wrong with you. It's just the nature of living in this broken world that we live in where things are not the way they ought to be. Secondly, and this is one that I do often, is um, our lives are so overburdened because we compare ourselves to other people. Uh, We look at the perfectly Instagrammed version of someone else's life and then we see our reality and then here's what we do. We start to load in extra stuff and feel guilty because we're not living up to someone else's life expectations. Someone else's house is always clean. I'm over here stepping on Legos. (laughs) Some of the pressures that we put on ourselves um, are not the ones that God wants for you to carry. They're because we are comparing our day-to-day life with someone else's highlight reel. And as a result, we end up packing on more things, things that we probably should have never put in there in the first place, just so we can keep up with the proverbial Joneses. I've talked about this before, but probably one of the worst financial decisions I've ever made was buying an apartment kind of in the middle of the real estate collapse in 2008 or or 9, and I bought it all because of a dude named Chill Will. I know I can't be the only person here with a friend named Chill Will. Am I the only one? I got out of school, and one of my former high school classmates and good friend Uh, He bought an apartment, and I'm like, yo, why am I going to rent? And Chill Will got a spot. He got the living room, flat screens all over the wall. I need to be like Chill Will and buy an apartment. And I did. And very shortly after I bought it, the market continued to collapse and go down and down and down until I found myself owing way more on it than it was actually worth. And then when I moved to the city, uh, I was no longer able to rent it. So now I was carrying a mortgage and rent. And you want to talk about stress and anxiety in the Rice household, I couldn't mention nothing to Jessica. She'd be like, oh, you ain't sell that apartment yet. You want to buy some more sneakers? You want to eat what for dinner? You better make you a (laughs) PB&J. And it was a really super stressful time. We were strapped for cash um, and just paying. uh, It felt like every time money would come out, every time the, the direct deposit would hit, that uh, that withdrawal would come like a thief in the night and just basically snatch away every extra penny we had, and we had the budget super tight, and we were so stressed and so full of anxiety, all because of some decisions that I made, mainly because I was comparing myself to someone else. Now, whenever you, know, you play the comparison game, there absolutely is no win in comparison. There's only two exits off the highway of comparison. One is guilt, where you just don't feel like you measure up, and the other one is pride, where you feel like you're doing better than someone else. Either way, it leads to two terrible places. Uh, the third thing that makes us overload ourselves is uh, disappointing relationships, um, where maybe the relationship you have with your parents is not what you wanted it to be. And everybody else seems to have a great relationship. They got Thanksgiving planned out, and it's going to be great, and is going to make the turkey, and it's not dry either. They, she knows how to do it, to keep the, even the white meat nice and moist and juicy. But you don't know where you're going to go for Thanksgiving because you really don't have a good relationship with your parents at all. Or maybe your parents aren't alive. Or maybe your relationship with your kids isn't what you thought it was going to be. Or maybe it's your romantic relationships that you really thought that by this time, your life would be in a certain position. You would have this marriage. You would have this whatever. And maybe just life circumstances or divorce took that away from you. And you don't have good relationships. And you know what? You feel alone. And it's just a lot of heavyweight I remember one of the first times that I was, um, uh, I was just leaving my job and I preached a sermon somewhere and this is after my late wife had passed away and I remember coming home and for the first time not having someone to talk about it with just felt so alone and I just sat in my apartment and cried. It just felt like too much of a weight to handle that I didn't have the relationship that I wanted to have and it was a heavy weight. It just made me feel overburdened and stressed out and a lot of people, uh, that's where you're at uh, just because of disappointing relationships. And last one, this was a big one. This is a huge one. Uh, A lot of us fail to embrace our God-given limitations. All of us have God-given limitations. For some of us, it's the family that you were born into. Uh, You have a certain worldview. You're not able to fully identify with other people, and nobody can do that because you were born in a certain way, in a certain time, in a certain place, and you understand the world one way, and you could not fully Uh, understand or engage in another uh, way of thinking because you have that limitation. All of us have limitations in our body. We need sleep, all of us, and I need a whole lot more sleep than I'm getting right now, by the way. We need sleep, we need oxygen, we need food, we need all these different things just to make it another minute. None of us is autonomous or self-sufficient as much as we would want to be. Now, I would love it nothing more than if I can control life uh, and I can do everything that I wanted to do, but oftentimes, I'm reminded of my limitations when I'm starting to see what I'm anxious about. Uh, this, um, coming up, we have a, we've been planning this marriage retreat, and I remember last year, we did it for the first time, and at the marriage retreat, I was talking big stuff, like, we're going to have this thriving, blossoming marriage ministry, and ask me how many events we've done between then and now. <laughs> Squad douche, a complete zero. And most of the time, to be perfectly honest, uh, I feel this low-lying level of just like, man, I have all of these ambitions and these capabilities, which seem to be a whole lot lower than my ambitions. It ain't just a marriage ministry. It's a singles ministry. It ain't just singles ministry. There we go. There's, there's one. <laughs> and then it's the men's ministry. You ain't doing enough with the brothers. What's going on with that? And what about the women's ministry? And what, and what about this? And what about this? And what about the kids? And all these different things. And most days, I'm confronted when I go home and I try to spend some time with my kid. Uh, Before I even hit the door, I'm usually having to force myself to say a prayer like, Jordan, what was done was done. What was not done was not done. And I'm constantly facing this tension between my capabilities and my ambitions. And my ambitions are always much higher than my capabilities, mainly because we're limited by time. Now, all of us have limitations. Some of us... uh, are struggling with uh, just comparing ourselves to other people or the disappointing relationships in our life, and all of that equals you being anxious and stressed out and overburdened. Now, to that, Jesus offers us a pretty radical, simple, but yet profound uh, way that we can navigate life in a way that will actually lead to your growth, to your transformation to you actually becoming the person, the child of God, the daughter, and the son of God that God has intended for you to be. And despite the brokenness of our world, uh, comparing ourselves to others and our limitations, Jesus offers you and me a radical antidote, and we see it in the, the gospel of Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now, if you grew up in a Christian household or you've been to Sunday school a couple of times, um, you might have heard this scripture, and this, is, this might not be a new concept for you, but I hope it's one that is meaningful for you uh, nonetheless, that it's a reminder and a fresh reminder of what it is the Christian life is all about. Jesus's invitation here is radical. He doesn't offer us, come and fill out this plan. Now in other religions, Buddhism, for example, has a four paths to enlightenment, and it gives you a map on what to do in order for you to be able to reach this enlightened state. In Islam, there are the five pillars of Islam that you should do and practice and do, and then that will earn you what you need to have in order to be good with God. Jesus doesn't offer us a formula. He doesn't give us a path that would ever let you be independent. Jesus simply says, hey, you, you want to, you're burdened and you're weary and you feel this stress and this anxiety that you're not doing enough in your relationship with God and you haven't earned it in yourself and you don't feel good enough on your own. Great. I'm not going to give you a formula. Come to me. Jesus invites us into a lifelong journey of dependence. A lifelong journey of dependence, where the struggle now is not to simply execute a plan, but rather to remain dependent, to remain connected, to remain to uh, to daily invite yourself back into the journey with Jesus, to simply come to Him. Now, I think I would probably rather prefer uh, if Jesus gave me a checklist. If Jesus said, "Hey, bro, here's a checklist. Do this every morning, and you are 100% good. You don't have to feel anxious." You don't have to feel stressed about anything. Uh, Do this and you'll be good. Uh, I would prefer that. Jesus doesn't offer us that at all. Uh, He doesn't offer us a plan. He simply invites us to come to him. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says come to him? Um, I think he means to believe in who he is and who he claimed to be and what he is able to do for us. If you back up a couple verses in the scripture in Matthew 11, Jesus is uh, talking to these towns who didn't believe him, and he's telling them, listen, I did all of these miracles, I did all of these things, and still you didn't believe in me. Still you didn't believe in what I was able to do for you. So if anything, what Jesus is inviting us to do is to simply come to him and to believe in who he is and what he's able to do for us. Jesus doesn't provide us details of what the next step or the next five steps of your life will be. He simply calls us to come to him and to lay down our fears and our stressors at his feet. Now, particularly as we're in this series of transformation and looking at emotional, our emotional lives and the things that cause us stress and anxiety, uh, whenever we, we throw these words out, I always want to be really clear uh, that what we're talking about here um, is an emotional and a spiritual anxiety that we have as like, unrest in our spiritual conditions, and it's different from clinical anxiety that many people in this room may feel, which requires a whole nother and separate uh, plan of action that it's not just, it's not a, an issue of faith, but it's an issue of science and medicine, and we always want to destigmatize mental health, um, particularly in the black community where so many people are against all things and just pray it away, and we certainly don't mean to say that. But what Jesus invites us to is a journey that we would lay aside the things, the weights, and all of the things that we carry, and simply come to him. And he doesn't want us resting in the how and the when, as if we would be wise enough to understand it, even if Jesus explained it to him, to us. Now, here's one of the craziest things about what it looks like to follow Jesus. Uh, all of us, uh, we generally don't make decisions until we find out what the next step is going to be. So your friend texts you and says, hey, what are you doing Thursday night? It depends. It depends. <laughs> I always give this non-committal answer, like, ah, you know, Jameson, you know what I'm saying, He's teething, I just don't know. Why? What is going on? You tell me what's going on. And then after they tell me what's going on, then I'll be like, well, actually, ah, can't do it. I'm busy. I got this thing going on. But had it been something else, I might have said yes. Um, last year, we got an, I, got, I got one of those texts from my friend. He said, hey, what are you doing this day? And I showed my wife, like, yo, what should we say? And we were like, ah, I don't know. Yeah, and tell us, what is going on that day? He says, hey, I got tickets to Hamilton. I was like, yeah, bro, we free. <laughs> we ain't nothing but free that day. I'll we'll cancel church. We'll do whatever. To <laughs> the invitation to come to Jesus uh, is that text that says, hey, just come through. Where you don't know what the next step or five or seven or ten steps look like beyond that. And it is the most profound and, tri- and simple yet difficult thing to do to simply come to him. Uh, there's a couple of scriptures I've been meditating on this past week about casting our anxieties uh, on Jesus because he cares for us. To trust in him with all of our hearts and to, lean not, to not lean on our own understanding, but simply trusting that in coming to him, he will make our paths straight. Now, I don't know of a more simple yet difficult truth to do, but here's what Jesus is inviting us into, and this is very true for you. If you're new to church, you're new to Christianity, and you try to understand this thing, listen, God has not given you a plan to execute. He's simply inviting us into a day-by-day dependent relationship with him where every single morning we are rediscovering what it means to follow him. Now, ultimately, one of my biggest burdens is um, not because I've compared myself to someone else, but mainly because... I often have this low level of anxiety and guilt that I haven't done enough to even be good with God. So where I'm really starting is this place of I haven't done enough and God requires so much of me and I know I haven't met it. So then I'm just feeling overburdened and weary and stressed and anxious about even praying to God. I often feel like God is in heaven like, oh, now you want to pray now that your fantasy basketball team is not doing well and you're just like in la-la land over there. Now you want to come and pray. Okay, come on. And I I don't think in those moments that I'm actually believing in Jesus and believing in the gospel. There's this dramatic piece of scripture where Jesus is talking to people and a question comes up to him and it says in John 6, 28 and 29, what can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, this is the work of God that you believe in the one that he has sent. Everybody was expecting Jesus to say, hey, this is the work of God, that you obey the Ten Commandments, that you do this, that you give away this much money. Jesus says, this is the work of God for your life. This is the work that you have to fight and work to do to simply believe in the one that God has sent. And most days, the anxiety and the guilt that I'm feeling is not because it's God putting it on my shoulders. It's because I'm not believing the gospel. What is this beautiful thing we call the gospel? It comes from Isaiah 53 four and six, where the Old Testament prophets prophesied about all that God would do in our lives, all that God would do, and it's almost too good to be true. It says, "'Yet he himself bore our sicknesses, and he carried our pains, but yet we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds.'" We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Not much of the experience, the anxiety that you might, and stress that you might experience in your spiritual life and the way that you understand God is because we're not believing the gospel, that what should have been God's punishment for our life was laid on Jesus. And we can simply, it wasn't free to him, but it's certainly free to us. We can, by trusting in him, doing the work to believe in what God has done through him, simply be made good with God, all because of our fa- placing our faith 100% in Jesus. Now, I've mentioned this story a couple times. Uh, growing up, I didn't have the greatest driving record. Um, I can drive. I'm a good driver, but I got into a bunch of car accidents. My dad is shaking his head no. Uh, but I got into a number of fender benders, and um, I remember uh, going past the auto repair shop where that car had been like once a quarter. It had just been in there for another car accident. And every time I would see the the repairman, the mechanic, he would like always, like, he loved me. I was putting like his kids through college (laughs) with how many accidents I was getting into. But he never had a problem with me because simply, even though I had racked up a crazy bill, my parents paid the bill. They paid it all, 100%. Even though I was 100% unable to do it, they took it upon themselves to pay for it on my behalf And me and that guy were 100% good, not because of anything I had done. I had made a mess of the situation. My parents stepped in and saved the day. Whenever we sing songs like, Jesus, you paid it all, uh, the words that we sing uh, and the scriptures that we read are meant to intend to direct us to having peace and tranquility in our spiritual lives, a, a, a place of restedness where we actually can say, Jesus, you truly have paid it all. Now, that's what leads to transformation, not this low level of guilt that we carry around that we haven't done enough. Now, as the scripture continues to go on, uh, we see how, uh, we see Jesus say something next that uh, at first glance doesn't make a lot of sense. And if you've uh, read the scripture a couple of times, you may have processed this or you may have uh, wrestled with this already, but that when Jesus invites us to him, he doesn't simply say, come to me and I'll free you from everything. He says uh, to come to me and then he says, take up my yoke and learn from me. Now, a yoke is this big wooden beam that was meant to tie together two animals uh, to keep them going in the right direction as they were either pulling a cart or that they were uh, plowing a field. But it's very interesting to say that Jesus wasn't removing restrictions from people. He was putting on the right restrictions. Now, if you wanted to talk about freedom, freedom is not about having zero restrictions. Freedom is about you having the right restrictions over your life. If you wanted to go free a whale from SeaWorld, you can't take the whale out and put her on 125th Street. That whale would die there because that whale is not intended to be on 25th. If you want that whale to be free, you have to free her and put her in the ocean. Here's what the scripture is leading to when Jesus says, take up my yoke and put it on you. It's not that you and I would have no restrictions whatsoever. It's that the right restrictions, the right things that are meant to steer us, the right things that are meant to take us in the direction that God would have us to go are in place and are firm, fixed things in our life that we have that can guide us and direct us. Uh, There's a song that I, I, I love, and one of the lines says, Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And I just feel that so often that my life is so prone to just wander and to go in the wrong direction. And I bet that I'm not the only person who can feel that. So to learn the way of Jesus isn't a freedom to do whatever, but in placing the right things in place on us that would guide us in the right direction and would place us in the ocean of his grace for us. So, how do you come to Jesus, or what might these restrictions be in your life that you can practice that that could be in your life, that could be a rhythm in your life that would continue to point us in the right direction. Um, One of these restrictions, one of these things, one of these principles is something called Sabbath. Now, I'm going to get a little nerdy for a hot second. Um, By Sabbath, I don't mean Uh, what they understood it to mean in the Old Testament, where for a 24-hour period, you couldn't do anything, and if you did something, you would be stoned or excommunicated from the community. Um, The Sabbath um, certainly, when understood in a New Testament community, uh, for some people, they held one day as holy, as Paul talks about in Romans 14. For others, they treated every day like the same, and Paul says, hey, if one day is good for you, great. If For you, if you want to treat all seven the same, fantastic. Go for it. Do what makes you happy. Uh, This is not intended to be a law that is uh, to to weigh us down, but rather a principle that can guide us, a principle that can push us in a place of spiritual health and transformation. Um, In uh, Mark 2, when Jesus was talking about the Sabbath, he says, Then he told them the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. What does that mean? The Sabbath was made for us so that we, you and I could benefit from its practice, not that you were made to do it, not that this is a law that, you should, that would hang around your neck, but rather something that is intended to uh, steer us in the right direction. Uh, my wife and I got really serious about the Sabbath a couple of years ago, and it has been absolutely revolutionary for our spiritual lives. Uh, I was going through a period where it was the most unhealthy spiritual period of my life. I was so overburdened with weights. I was so stressed all the time that I was getting sick all the time. And this was before we even had my son come home from daycare, getting us, getting us sick. Like These were just random sicknesses that I was getting. Week after week, I was just stressed. Uh, I was always full of, of anxiety. I could never turn off my brain. I was always just thinking about what I hadn't done. And it was the worst time in my spiritual life. And then uh, we stumbled on this thing Called the Sabbath, where basically it has four principles. And again, if you're um, uh, new to this whole thing, just hear me out before you dismiss it. Now, it's a 24-hour period where you do four things. The first is to stop. Now, stopping simply is stopping doing all the things that you have to do. So all of the have-to activities, anything that will be construed as work. And a brief parenthetical statement here. If you got small kids, ain't no way in the world you're doing this, because uh, there's no way you're going to stop for 24 hours uh, of taking care of your kids. Um, that's just not possible. Um, and also, if you work in a type of job, if uh, your financial situation is one that, man, it's not possible for you. You're working two, two jobs just to try to put food on a table for your family. Uh, listen, this is not intended to be a weight around your neck. This is intended to be something that gives us life. But it's a period of 24 hours where we stop turn off our push email notifications, and we simply stop doing the things that we have to do. For me, what it looks like is us on Fridays, we we work hard uh, leading up to Friday to do the laundry, to do um, the food shopping, to do whatever we need to do, the have-tos, so that when Friday comes and we put our son in daycare, we could have some time to simply stop. Now, at first, stopping activity was the most difficult thing for me to do because I was constantly just so used to, so addicted to simply doing something that to to stop from doing something meant that I had to trust God. Now, particularly when we were starting this church, and I always felt like I was behind the eight ball, I always felt like I hadn't done enough, so to stop doing work felt counterintuitive and felt counterproductive, but what we discovered was the opposite, that the more I stopped, the more that I was able to center myself, the more productive I actually was. Now, this is not even just a Christian thing. Uh, if, uh, they did a study in this book called Essentialism, and they uh, polled all these violinists and all these Juilliard uh, award-winning violinists, and those who just stopped to take naps always performed better than those who didn't. Your brain is a muscle, and going nonstop hurts us. You and I are not intended to carry that much weight of continual activity. In the same way that those boats were not intended to carry that extra weight, our bodies, our brains were not intended To carry that much activity. The second principle is to rest. So first is stop. The second one is to rest. And um, again, uh, to do something that you are actually just resting, where you are receiving, where you are doing something that is recharging your batteries. The third thing is a big thing that most people don't think about, uh, particularly in Christian circles, because we've kind of come from this um, version of Christianity that thinks that we need to be depressed and uh, miserable all the time. And it's delight. What, you, what can you do in a day that would actually make you feel good? For me, quite honestly, don't judge me. It's when I can spend at least an hour or two doing research on my fantasy basketball league. Um, it's, I'm injured right now. My team is not performing as well as I wanted to. Uh, but my therapist told me, hey, you need to spend more time doing fantasy basketball on your day off. And I'm like, amen, sister. I like the, <laughs> I like the way you think. I told my wife, like, hey, I mean, the doctor's order. She wants me to do it. Uh, but a lot of times what we spend time together doing on Fridays is just going out to get a good meal. Like we can enjoy God's good creation. We can enjoy, for me, a, a good, delicious cheeseburger. Uh, for some of you guys, it's nature, getting out and seeing the sunlight for a little bit. But whatever it is for you that is a delight, something that, is, uh, some, that brings you joy, uh, that you can enjoy doing uh, as part of your day to recharge your batteries because none of us are intended to just go, 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 go. God has created us. He has modeled for us in Genesis to simply stop and delight in, what he, in, in uh, this world that he has created. In Genesis, you see, God worked for six days, and in the seventh day, he stopped and he rested and he delighted in his creation. Now, the same thing is true for us, that God has created us in such a way that we were intended to stop and to rest and delight in his good creation. And the last one is what makes the Sabbath actually transformative. Um, it's beyond simply stopping and resting and delighting, which are amazing things uh, in and of themselves. But the last one is to contemplate. And by contemplate, we mean an, an uninterrupted period where you are hearing the words of God spoken over your life. Now, most of us, when we think about the way we understand this world or we think about our memories, we think, it is some, we think that it is almost independent of us to uh, be able to determine how we see the world, uh, but that's actually not the truth. You and I will see the world based on the voices that are speaking to us. So Elizabeth Loftus is a, a cognitive psychologist, and uh, she I was listening to a podcast, uh, which is how I get 99% of my sermon material. Um, <laughs> and uh, in the podcast, she was talking about how our memories, uh, we would like to think that they're like hard drives, that you save a file that goes in this box, and you, whenever you want to retrieve it, you click on that link, and it comes right back up to you, perfectly undisturbed and um, intact. But she's found, along with, a lot, along with a lot of other cognitive psychologists, that the way we experience life and the way we remember things really is based on what people have told you about it. They did an experiment where they sat people down, and they showed them a video of a car accident, and there's a car clearly going through a stop sign. They watched the video, and they were told to recreate uh, f- from memory, what they saw in the incident. Blue car traveling at a decent rate of speed, and then she says, hey, pay close attention to what happened after they ran the yield sign. When everybody went sat down to rewrite what they had seen, what they had just experienced like three seconds earlier, the vast majority of people put down that it was a yield sign, even though they had just seen a stop sign right in front of them. And here's what it's getting at. The way that you and I understand what has happened to us and the way that you and I experience the world is largely based off of the voices that are in our heads. Our thoughts and our memories are malleable. They're changeable. It's easily manipulated. They can be controlled and altered based on the voices, based on the thoughts that come to us, based on how people tell us that we should have experienced it. And when Jesus tells us to come to him, it's because God wants to speak into our lives. God wants to remind you who you are. God wants to remind you whose you are. And we cannot allow um, the thoughts uh, that we experience, um, that many of them are not authored by us, and they're certainly not authored by God, to dominate the way that we experience life. And we need an uninterrupted period of time every single week where we can hear the words of God washed over our lives. Now, we've stood on the soapbox for a long time and talked about this thing called CBR, Community Bible Reading, And it's basically just one way of about a thousand different ways that you can spend an uninterrupted time with God every single week. And most of the time that people are not experiencing transformation, largely it's because we're not hearing the words of God over our lives. So we're struggling based on uh, how we're experiencing life. We're beating ourselves up because we're not hearing the words of God in our life. We're not having that time where we can contemplate and think and hear who God is in our hearts. So Jesus tells us, listen, listen. Come to me. I am lowly and humble in heart, and he gives us a promise, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, this upcoming week, I would just love for you to think about, hey, what could be a period of time, maybe you can't do 24 hours, what could be a period of time where you would carve out time to, to truly go through these things, to stop, to rest, to delight, and to contemplate? Let me pray for us. Uh, Heavenly Father, God, you know all of the things that weigh us down. You know all the ways that we beat ourselves up. God, I just pray that this week and today we'd be able to experience the freedom that you offer us. And God, we'd be able to hear you speak over us who we are and whose we are. We ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.